My name is Natalie, and this is Chelsea, and we're the hosts of The Daily Reframe, a podcast dedicated to exploring the application of a growth mindset through the stories and experiences of others. Today's episode deals with child sexual abuse. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual abuse or assault, please contact RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, by calling 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673, or by visiting www.rainn.org. This episode also deals with the topics of mental health, depression, suicidal ideation, and body image. If you or someone you know is struggling with any of these, please contact the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration by calling 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Or by visiting www.samhsa.gov. Links to all the services mentioned will be provided in this episode's show notes. Thank you. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of the Daily Reframe. This is a particularly special one for me because today we get to interview one of my oldest and dearest friends, Allie Marcus, who I have known since the tender age of three, since preschool. We went all the way through high school together. And Allie is one of the most resilient and strong and beautiful people I know. And this episode today is going to be centered around some pretty heavy topics. But I am so proud of her for being so courageous and wanting to share her story with us because it's really important, I think, for people to hear. So welcome, Allie. Thank you for being here with us today. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. Um, And I think to just jump right into everything... I was hoping that you could kind of explain your family and the perception that the community that we kind of grew up in, you know, had around your family to start (laughs) things. Yeah, definitely. So um, I grew up in a very small town, as Chelsea knows, and it was very a tight knit community in general. My family was very tight-knit and very active in the community, very well-known. I, you know, we had a really very nice house and my parents were friends with everybody. My, there's a joke that my dad was like the mayor of our (laughs) town because they just, both of them, my mom (laughs) and my dad just knew everyone. Um, And everybody was like really in everyone's business. So there was not a whole lot of secrets in in our small town but yeah we uh I would say my I had a great childhood you know I was very very lucky I had loving parents a a loving home so yeah sounds just like the idyllic childhood yes yeah from the outside right exactly like I think anybody from the outside looking in would have thought that I just had like this golden life and in a lot of ways I did, but then there were also underlying things for sure that nobody would have known. So very much the picture of perfection. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, your house was the house with the good snacks and like the rated <laughs> what were R the, movies. What were the good snacks? I'm oh, a big snack the, girl. The, so. good, the good snack. I mean, like, you know, I came from like a home where the pantry was full of like baba ganache and like carrot sticks. And then mm-hmm. I go to Allie's house and I was like, gushers, Dunkaroos, mini Oreos. <laughs> Crystal light. Crystal light. Like- Remember your mom getting mad at you because you drank Crystal light at my house and she was like, they're giving you poison. So upset. <laughs> um, so it, yeah. yeah, it was absolutely like the picture of like the white picket fence life. Yeah, uh, for yes. sure. From mm-hmm. outsiders so, looking in. So Chelsea, you went over there and just like, just OD'd on sugar. Is oh that what God. I'm hearing? I was like, get me in that <laughs> fucking pantry. All the foods. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> we all had a friend like that. I get yeah. it. I might have <laughs> even been that friend. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, so you were saying that it was perfect on the outside or it appeared to be so. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little yeah. bit about that part of it? Yeah. So um, I around, well, I was about three years old um, and I had a family member who um, started to sexually abuse me. Um, and this went on for many, many years. Um, it was not like a daily occurrence, but it was consistent over Mm. several years. Um, and it was just, it was something that happened when I was left alone with this person. So, uh, which again, not daily, it wasn't, you know, weekly even, but often enough. Um, and, uh, I did not tell anybody for many, 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 many years. So it was kind of this dark secret that I had for a very long time until I reached adulthood. And what were the ages that this abuse happened? So I, I, I think I said I was a, I was three, three um, yeah. around three. I don't know exactly, but I was around three um, and it went until I was 10. So and. I mean, these are like very like early formative years. Do Mm -hmm. you remember how you changed during this time? Did you change or were you just like very good at hiding it? Um, So it's kind of strange to think about because as an adult thinking back on it, I can definitely see that I wasn't good at hiding it. But at the same time, my um reactions let's say or my symptoms if you want to call it that were like very characteristic of a child that was being abused sexually yeah. yeah but no i don't think it was as open of a topic it's still really not i don't think today yeah um but especially was- back then sorry especially especially in a family that looked yeah. pretty damn near perfect right right nobody outside. exactly no one would have thought, thought just mm-hmm. like even they're so remote mm-hmm. no one would even consider that there right. there had to be some other reason for any type of change that you were you know experiencing at right. that time right so my you know my parents were very good parents very diligent parents and obviously they were leaving me alone with this person mm-hmm. and they had no idea and i also didn't tell them what i do know shifted for me Um, And this isn't so much memories. It's like I can tell from pictures. If you see photos of me as like a baby and, you know, through about age three, I was number one, I was a healthy weight. And number two, I was smiling, always Mm. smiling. 
And I remember um, the shift of like, I started gaining weight and also that I would, I just wasn't smiling. And my mom used to, you know, tell me like, oh, you know, you have to smile for pictures and like really would like force me. Like I would tell her I didn't want to, and she Hmm. would make me. Um, And I would, I, I started being very combative with my parents about everything. Like I just... So what I can realize that as now is I just wanted to feel control again. Yeah. I felt very yeah. out of control and unsafe. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for that as a kid, but I was doing it in ways that a lot of kids do. Like, you know, my mom wanted me, mom, sorry, my mom wanted me to wear a certain pair of shoes and I would argue with her. She wanted me to eat vegetables. I would argue, but it was like, intense and but you were a child like you only have so many ways at your you know methods you're at your disposal to assert yourself to have a voice exactly and I mean the fact that despite everything that you had experienced you were still trying to do that Mm -hmm. you weren't just sitting Mm -hmm. there I mean I think that's remarkable Allie Mm -hmm. I I mean I'm sure it was terrible for my parents, like God bless them, because I really was, I was, I was really difficult. Um, But I just remember it. it, The funny thing is I wanted them by doing what I was doing and being like angry and just aggressive and all these things. I was hoping, I remember hoping that they would just ask me like, Hey, is somebody abusing you? Like, that's what I needed. And they couldn't do that. That just wasn't realistic of them to be like, oh, you don't want to wear this coat today? Is someone abusing you? Like, it wasn't going (laughs) to happen. Right. But in my head, I was like, if I act bad enough, they're going to start wondering why. And they're going to start asking. And that's what I was waiting for. And obviously, that didn't happen. So, but that's kind of how I changed, you know, and it, it it was rough years for everybody, I think, because of that. So, so. And go ahead were you being told by the person that was abusing you to not tell them like were they scaring you like how how was it happening that yeah yeah um yes so this person um it actually started out very innocently and I I don't want to get into like too much detail but it's not yeah um basically they knew I was a little kid right so it started with like oh like do you want to play house Mm. and like that kind of thing and like it progressed very gradually from there um and when it started becoming painful the progression let's put it that way like physically painful Mm -hmm. um and and I obviously said you know I don't want to do it you know whatever I don't I don't like this whatever um that's when they started threatening me and Again, looking back, it's the things that they were threatening me with were so silly and so not true. But, but you were a when child. you're a kid, right? Yeah, when you're so, a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm, so they would just say, like, you know, um, like don't tell anyone or they're going to like take your doll away or like, you know, stupid things that would scare me enough that I would just listen to them. And yeah. they are older than me. So I was like, oh, like they must know. Um, and then. Um, obviously I grew up and I, that didn't work on me anymore by the time it had ended. Cause like I said, I was, I was 10. 
Um, so I was too old for those things. Then it's eventually at some point shifted to, oh, well, if you tell anyone, like they're going to think it's your fault because you keep letting it happen. It's happened so many times now that they either they're not going to believe you or they're going to think it was your fault. Just give a name to this person, a name that we could use instead of this person. Yeah. Uh, so Ryan. Okay. Ryan, we're going to, we're going to call him Ryan. Yeah. So I was just going to say that he actually at one point told me that um, my parents would disown me if I told them because they would think it was my fault. So I was very scared about all of that for a long time. What about that threat particularly? Like that specific threat? Yeah. Um, uh, So um, another part of my story is that I was adopted. So mm. I always wanted to like, and not that, and my parents loved me very much. I was very wanted, but I also, I also knew I was adopted from a young age and I always wanted to like, I think be worthy of them kind of like, yeah. you know, um, not that they made me feel that way, but I felt that way. So, you know, anything to shame them would make me feel terrible. I think that's why that hit me so hard. Right. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Also, the idea that you can be, you know, you're like a thing that could be returned. Like you're a child. (laughs) Yeah. You you were obviously young enough to where a threat like that could cause so much turmoil and damage Mm -hmm. to you and fear, Mm -hmm. but also old enough to understand the difference between an adoptive child and a a child that's naturally born. Like there is a there's an element of like having to go and retrieve something mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. were a thing that could be returned right which right it's obviously not the case of course yeah the manipulation is astounding yes. yes he was very manipulative yeah and so all of this kind of comes to an end at age 10 mm-hmm. was it just because you weren't able to be manipulated anymore yes um yeah. pretty much exactly so what had happened is that my Uh, My parents had gone away on vacation, just the two of them for their anniversary. And so I had different family members um, staying at my house, taking care of me. Um, And one of them was this person, sorry, Ryan. And um, so uh, he, like I was in bed one morning and he came in the room and, you know, he started trying to do what he was doing, what he was trying to do. And I basically, uh, there was another family. My grandmother was in the house also at the time. So she was downstairs when this happened. So again, very brazen, but you know, there's other people in the home, right? (laughs) So anyway, um, so she was downstairs. I knew she was downstairs. I had like just woken up. I was like watching cartoons, whatever. He comes in. um, He basically informs me like, we're going to do this now, what he had planned to do. And I just... I had never stood up to him before, but I, for some reason that day, I was like, if you put one hand on me, I am going to scream and I'm going to tell everybody what you've been doing to me. And at first he was aggressive about, and he was like, what? And he came towards me. Like he was just going to do it anyway. Mm. And I pulled the covers over my head and I was like, I am not joking. I will scream as loud as I can. And I, and then grandma will come up here and I will tell her everything that you have done. And he got really scared because I had never even threatened 
at all. Like never right. stood up for myself. And he, I remember he backed out of the room with his hand and he was like, okay, okay. Like backed out of the room and he never tried it again. Wow. Nothing. Never did anything again. Never mentioned it. Nothing. Yeah. It again. was like unspoken of for yep. many, many years. Yep. What did it feel like doing that? Do you remember oh, that mm-hmm. feeling? Like, were you exhausted after that? Like what, mm. what was it like asserting yourself after so many years? Um, well, I honestly kind of was like sitting there, like, I don't even know where that came from. Cause I didn't think I would, I, I, it's not like something I was planning. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't, I mean, obviously I wanted it to stop, but I never like sat down and was like, oh, next time he does it, I'm going to do that. It wasn't like that. It was just like, for some reason that morning, I was just like, no, like, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't continue this. Um, And then afterwards I did feel relieved, but I also was scared. I was Mm -hmm. very, I was very, very scared of him. So I didn't know that that was actually going to be the end of it or what else was going to happen. I was scared that he was going to go tell someone and try to like do what he was threatening to do and like blame it on me, even though I did know better by then. I, you know, I was pretty confident by then that it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like what he told me it would be if he, if someone found out, but I was still very ashamed still about it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was a mix of emotions, I guess. I mean, how could, yeah, it's, you must feel like you've taken your power back a little bit, but it's also scary because mm-hmm. you don't know mm-hmm. if that's actually the end or if it's there's yeah. going to be another time. So, I mean, thank God that was the end of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So did you ever try to tell this to someone? Yes. So um, around, it was probably like within a year before it stopped before that event that I just explained happened. Um, I was having a sleepover at my house and Mm -hmm. you remember this Chelsea was there. I'm pretty sure it was my birthday sleepover, but maybe not. I don't know, but there was a few, a few people there. Um, and I remember I had decided for that birthday, like I was going to tell people and and I was going to see how they reacted. And I thought my friends would be a good option (laughs) because they're not an adult so like it was a little less intimidating to tell them yeah and just kind of gauge how they responded and um one of my good friends um was the first one to say something when I told them um and I didn't go into detail I just said Ryan is sexually abusing me or however I worded it but basically just that and she said my, my friend said that that's not something you should lie about. That was her response. And of course she's a kid, you know, she was a year older than us. She was not mature enough to, she was not equipped, but to me and being where I was at the time, I was like, Oh, yep. There he was right. People are going to think I'm lying. Silent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I've talked to this friend about that, like since then, and and she feels terrible that she said that like she she didn't know. And I don't blame her at all. But, you know, that really kept me quiet because I was like, okay, he's right. You know. So you bury this. Yeah. For a long time. mm -hmm. Um, So then obviously the the event happened where I I was able to uh, end it. 
And I don't know exactly when it happened, but at some point, um, I basically had what I now understand is like a trauma response where you kind of bury it like in the back of your head. It's there, right. but right. you're not actively remembering. Yeah. Um. So that started. Yeah. And that carried through till I was 19. So sorry so if I sound shaky. I'm like shaking a little. No, bit. no, I mean, no. Why don't you have a <laughs> glass of water? Yeah. Yeah. yeah take take a yeah. sip. I mean, you're telling a pretty. Mm-hmm. Traumatic story. It's I wasn't expecting to shake. I know we were talking about that earlier, and you're like, yeah. "No, I'm good. I've I'm cool as a cucumber." No, <laughs> no, no. It's that's the thing when you relive a trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it your body goes back to to some degree to the moment of the yeah. trauma. Yeah. yeah. So please, yeah, take your time. Mm-hmm. So you put this in the back of your mind, you know, mm-hmm. you soft launched this didn't go well, didn't, didn't elicit the response you were hoping for. But again, a group of 10 year olds are not, <laughs> no one is, a, no one in that setting is equipped to deal with mm-hmm. a situation like that. So mm-hmm. you, you put it away, but obviously that stays with you. And this is manifesting for you mm-hmm. in your weight and your relationship with food. Correct. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you take us a little bit through that portion of it? Okay. I mean, so I I mentioned before briefly that, you know, from photos, you can see when I started gaining right. weight and it was all, it's all connected. It's all around that time. Yeah. Um, And I just based, before I even knew that food could be comforting, that's what mm-hmm. it was for me. Like I, that was aside from like trying to take any control I could in just the silliest childish ways I could, like I could control what I ate and I only wanted to eat what made me feel good. Mm-hmm. Like did it, it wasn't an endorphin hit. It's an yeah. endorphin exactly. hit. Sugar just, has the yep. same impact as heroin on the body. Mm-hmm. The mind. So I just wanted to feel good. And mm-hmm. so I would turn to like whatever bad food I could get. And yeah. Um, that was another point of contention between my parents and I, cause obviously they were concerned for my weight. They wanted me to eat healthy. Um, and they tried everything. Like when my parents read every book, they asked everyone, they tried everything, every pediatrician, I, every yeah. test. Is it our thyroid? What could no. it be? No, it, it was, just, I was just, I would not eat vegetables. And what's funny is, um, I actually, Chelsea told me this story and I don't remember this, but her mom remembers I think it, you can correct me if I mistell it or do you want to yeah. tell it I'm it was super tots we were being picked okay. up from our preschool that was our preschool yep and um my mom tells a story about how Allie looked at her dead in the face with no prompts like there was no <laughs> reason for her to say this but she looks at my mom dead in the eyes and goes I'm so fat because my parents just let me eat pizza and like that was <laughs> That this little, that was what this little per- came out of this little person's mouth. And my mom's like, I will never forget that, um, mm-hmm. you know? And so obviously like food is your comfort when mm-hmm. you're going through all of these traumatic things. Mm-hmm. And did you feel like people treated you, you know, I'm talking about like when we were in elementary school or when we were in junior high school, did you feel treated differently? Um, So uh, honestly, like I, you know, I had bullies, like, I think we all had bullies. I will say that my one bully that I remember the most was ironically the other kid in the class who was 
chubbier. Mm. And I felt like now looking back, I feel like he was he was picking on me so people wouldn't pick on him. Like he was the bully so that he wasn't bullied. Right. Because yeah. then he was getting the laughs. Um, yeah. But he was like the same size as me, really, if not, I don't know, it was around the same size as me. And um, but yeah, he was the meanest. Like he would just always make fun of my looks or like whatever, anything he could. Uh, but other than that, like as a kid, I don't think I was really treated too much differently. I felt yeah. I felt like I was different. You but felt nobody okay. And my parents focused on it a lot, but for yeah. the health of it. But nobody was really nasty to me, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what is it the experience in high school? I would assume that that shifts because people mm-hmm. get Mm-hmm. oh now do you have a question yeah could we just kind of hop back to like mm-hmm. that preschool middle school age because mm-hmm. middle schoolers are awful mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and then you have puberty setting into around this time mm-hmm. so not only are you using food at this time to mm-hmm. self-medicate mute trauma numb yourself mm-hmm. but your body's changing and you're becoming as they say, a woman. Mm-hmm. Then you have these sexual. Yeah, I mean that's the reality. You're like these sex, this sexual progression. Your hormones are kicking in. You're developing. Did you ever have? I guess was that a, that time in your life that transformation? What it was? Did it feel any different? I mean, having had your innocence taken from you at such a young mm-hmm. age, mm-hmm. I imagine that you kind of, in a way, already felt like an adult already felt yeah. like a woman you had already been mm-hmm. sexualized so many mm-hmm, times mm-hmm. so I will say uh, I'm glad you touched on that because that was something about me that I think adults around me picked up on that they no one ever said anything about it but I definitely was more uh I don't know if sexual is the right word but like I just knew a lot right so like mm-hmm. you know it um Things like that didn't, weren't like a thing for me. I get like kissing. It was like nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I kissed a boy at a very young age, like really young. Um, and I was just very aware. And I felt like that's something that adults around me kind of picked up on that they just, but they didn't say anything, you know? Um, and speaking to that, um, I just remembered, uh, one of the boy that I did kiss the first boy that I kissed. Um, so he, especially around like fifth or sixth grade. Um, so we were super close. Like he lived nearby to me and, um, obviously like we kissed each other. So like, whatever, you know, it was pretty innocent, but like, you know, I liked him, but he was very popular. Um, and what he started doing around that age was, publicly he was so mean to me like he would call me fat ass or like all yeah. the like, awful things but then we he'd like come over to my house after that like later mm-hmm. that day after school and be like I'm so sorry I did that you know I don't really think that I had to do that because my friends were there and I just accepted that like yeah because like, that was oh. the secrets and shame that was normal to you mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. that was the status quo yeah this like secret sexualized relationship that had taken place is if that's okay then Mm -hmm. the way this boy is treating you in high school is also okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't high school yet, but yeah. Well, middle middle school. school. Sorry. Same thing though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like this, or you know, and I I think we, 
it's, it's so sad because Mm -hmm. that is the time when a young woman or a young person generally should be learning about themselves and creating these foundational relationships and having butterflies, but your sense of closeness had been corrupted Mm -hmm. by Ryan's egregious behavior and had almost hardwired you to look for intimacy in connection with physical touch and secrecy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that really set me up for a long time that being treated like that by men was okay. And it was not. Um, So yeah, that just kind of unlocked that memory there. (laughs) When you, yeah, I'm I'm sorry if I unlocked a bad memory. Um, No, it's okay. I, it's just, I just wish I could like lean over and hold you right now. (laughs) Really. Um, I'm curious when you started high school, Mm-hmm. You know, you had already had this foundation, your childhood, middle school, these, the way you are interacting with your peers, your, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the secrecy. I, were you, I know I kind of just want to go back to the foods. Were you hiding what you were eating or was it mm-hmm. a binge situation? Oh, yeah. So no, I did. I would, I wouldn't say I binged. I definitely ate, like I could eat a lot, but I wouldn't call it like binging to the point that I was like making myself sick. It wasn't like that, but I would hide my food. Like I, if I like had a bunch of like desserts or something with the wrappers, I would always like try to hide them because my mom would get upset. Um, yeah. And yeah, she did not want me doing that. She did not want me eating those things. So I definitely would hide for sure. Um, And also, you know, speaking of like um, early high school years, so in seventh grade, I played basketball um, and I only did like one season, but I lost a bunch of weight because I was working out, you know, more than I was. Yeah. And so and so this is what's weird is like I always knew like I was overweight and it was unhealthy. I didn't fully understand that I was emotionally eating just yet, but like that was there for sure. But I also wasn't yet the I I don't even know if I would say I've ever been the type of person that put my worth into my weight so much like I've always felt beautiful I've always felt smart so like I never was like oh I'm just like you know a piece of shit because I'm overweight I never felt like that right but um I mentioned that to say like when I lost weight when I was playing basketball I got down to like a normal weight and my mom was so perception of you completely changed right she was so happy and she bought me all these it was around Christmas she bought me all these new clothes and like she was like ecstatic that I had lost weight and she didn't say like it's because you've lost weight she's like oh like you get you can like have these new jeans and they fit you whatever it was an award yes yeah you were being rewarded for losing weight but then once the season ended I immediately gained all of it back and I specifically remember that she one day I was just in my room minding my business and she came in and she was like I want you to put the jeans on that I bought you for Christmas and I was like I don't know where they are and she was like I do and she like got them out and made me put them on and they didn't fit and she was like yeah see I knew it you've gained so much weight and that I and then I like realized how I never thought before like how much important other people were putting on my weight and that was the first time also that 
she did that in a um in a way that wasn't about health like it was yeah. literally just about how I looked perception um, yeah yeah um so that all kind of came up at that time did that start feelings of like self-hate or kind of resentment of yourself like did you stop looking at yourself naked anything mm-hmm. like that no rejecting uh, yourself no I kind of I think what it did more than anything is like um I think I sort of more I didn't internalize it so much it was more like I felt like people saw me that way and I just kind of accepted like oh like I'm probably just always going to be treated like differently or maybe a little more poorly because of how people perceive me but I didn't necessarily like I said before I didn't necessarily think that I was like a you know terrible person because of it or that I wasn't worthy although my actions though would say differently because like like going back to like how men treated me obviously Mm -hmm, I I didn't value myself as much as I thought I did so it's kind of hard to explain I hope it's making no I I think it's your it's crystal clear like there a definite connection between Mm -hmm. I mean it's all stems from secrecy and shame yeah Mm -hmm. I also like and you know not to like bash my mom because she was a good mom and I I think she was doing her best with what she thought like she was doing what she didn't know they did not at right that was the point you made they had no idea this was Mm -hmm. act happening so Mm -hmm. you know they Mm -hmm. their view they didn't I'm sure if they had that context yeah this right her response would have been completely different yeah but um but I can remember I was in like uh, somewhere between first and third grade. I don't remember exactly, but I was young enough that my mom was still like running my baths for me and like helping me wash my hair. So I was pretty young and like she like I got undressed to go in the bath and she was like, we need to get on the scale. And I got on the scale. I don't remember what weight I was, but I was already pretty overweight and she just cried. She just started crying and she was like, you can't be like this you know, and she didn't mean it like I'm ugly or something like she was scared yeah. for my, like the weight I was. Um, but like, that was really the one of the, like the first time that I was like, okay, like this is something is wrong with me. You know, this is not normal. Um, and she did, she was like trying to diet. I went on my first diet then also. And she like, was I'll, like, I'll do it with you, you know, just not super yeah. normal for a kid, you know? Right. Um, But she was trying her best. And she comes Mm -hmm. from like a, she came from a health background, you know, she was a nurse. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. she knew, you know, the implications of Mm -hmm. an unhealthy BMI at that early of an age. But Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, your mom also came from a place of being like the cheerleader in high school. And she was was so perfect in every way. So I have to think that some of that plays a little bit of a Mm -hmm. role into it. You were, you know, you guys were in the same community that she grew up in and you were going yes. to the same schools and it was the same yes. teachers and it was, you know, so it was a lot of, mm-hmm. there was definitely some vanity in there. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this because I, you know, being alongside you in these ages, mm-hmm. I always like you always knew what was going on in like movies and stuff. And I was yeah. so, I was, you you knew everything no like I was the friend that like and my to be fair like my parents were also very like they never they weren't like letting me 
be sexualized or something like you know they wouldn't have allowed what happened to happen if they had known but they also were like very much the parents were like if I wanted to watch a rated R movie like they would rent that for me and let me watch it so I was the one bringing the rated R movies to Chelsea's house and corrupting her brain I mean I was going to your house so I could watch them because I had helicopter (laughs) parents Yeah. yeah but you you also always struck me as such a confident person in your body no matter the size or shape of it like you Mm -hmm. always seemed so confident to me and like you could talk to boys so easily and I was like that's terrifying I don't know how you're doing that (laughs) um but I mean when you like connect all of the dots of the story it you know Mm -hmm. you see the whole picture yeah I think I could talk to boys easily because I always just assumed that they would never like me like it would never be a romantic thing so I was just like well I'm talking to anybody Cause I was like, they're not going to like me. Like, how, how could they like me? Oh, wow. boys don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I re- I'm serious. Like, that's what I would think. And so like that, it speaks to like, I wasn't, it's such a weird form of self-hatred cause that's what it is. But yeah. I wasn't actively like, oh, I hate myself. I can't look at myself. Like, it wasn't like that. Right. I was like, oh, I'm pretty, but I'm like no one's cup of tea though. Like it was kind of, kind of like that. <laughs> I don't know. It was very strange. My, my thought process. I th- I don't think it's strange at all. I think you you instead of like we could call self hate or describe it in a couple different ways, but it's you did not see yourself as worthy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's really what it is. So what you did in response to that was to try to fill yourself with um you know whatever a feeling momentary feelings of uh you know, sugar, like whatever Mm -hmm, brought mm -hmm. you endorphins Mm -hmm. and could mute those feelings, like that truth that you felt that you weren't good enough, that you weren't the star that you were. I'm I don't know, like if the moments ever your, your mind ever brought you there, but you know, damaged Mm -hmm. or had been destroyed by Mm -hmm. Ryan's actions. Yes. Um, to speak to that, I do. I oh I still feel like this, you know. I'm almost 34 now. I still feel like this and I don't really know where this lands, but this is how I feel. I feel like what happened when I was younger, you know, especially being 3, your brain is still developing. My brain was still developing that entire time. So it's almost like what happened is like a part of me. Like I yeah. there's a part of myself that can never fully be removed. And that's not to say you know, I can't accept or forgive or work through it or whatever. It's it's that to me is separate, but there's always going to be this thought in my head of like, if that hadn't happened, how would I be different? Yeah. How mm-hmm. would my life have been different? I don't know these things. And I carry that with me. Um, I what that, ifs? Yeah. No. I, and no, I don't want I it to it. sound like a negative thing. It's just, for me, it's just a fact of it. Uh, it's just a reality. And I don't think that's something that everybody can understand because not everybody you know, luckily not everybody goes through something that traumatic at that age. So. Well, I'm, you can't, it, it's a core memory. You'll yeah. never be your, your, mm-hmm. I mean, if there is a human being on this planet that can develop a medicine or a time machine that can take people back to that and remap everything. I think that's what, you know, uh, ketamine and psychocy psychocybin therapists are attempting to do but 
you know, regardless, like that is, I mean, it's, it was a part of, as you said, your core development. Yeah. Especially during the times that were so critical to Mm -hmm. how you interact with the world, the way you identify right and wrong, these social Mm -hmm. behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to hear, and we're going to get into it, but where you are now Mm -hmm. And what you've done, what you've been able to accomplish after a very hard fought road, like you, Mm -hmm. you have fought for that sense of self and Mm -hmm. your wholeness. Mm -hmm. I'm in awe of you, Allie. Thank you. Looking for more daily reframe inspiration? Then follow us on socials by searching at the underscore daily underscore reframe, or check out our website at www.thedailyreframe.com. All right. So we're back from the break. Um, And one thing kind of that I wanted to mention along with the vein of what we were just talking about was Nat, I think you and I in particular had had conversations about this. When things like this happen to you at such a young age, and you have absolutely no say in what what is taking place, the way in which it shapes your entire existence moving forward is really unimaginable because it's it weaves itself into every part of your life mm-hmm. and how you move through life and how you interact with people and how you interact and how you talk to yourself. So I think the fact that Allie, where you're coming to and we're, you know, obviously we'll get to where you are right now in your life later on, but I do think that you should take a step back and acknowledge everything that you've done and mm-hmm. how courageous you are and what a strong person mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. It means a lot to me. Well, very special. <laughs> yeah, you very much. I love you. <laughs> so much. Yeah. <laughs> um so I know, you know, we have talked about high school experience many times and I know for you in terms of what you experienced prior to high school, mm-hmm. it's not so much at the forefront right. at this time. Right. But I think it is important. You know, we grew up in the early aughts, mm-hmm. all three of us, and body image at that time was really tough. I think for any, I'm just going to speak for women. I think it was really tough to be a girl at that time. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know many teenage girls now, but I'm sure it's tough for them right now too. Are we talking um, heroin, heroin chic era? That yeah. was the odd. Yeah. 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 The awful. Paris Hilton, the, mm-hmm. you know, like all like of- the ideal was like double zero, like yeah. how the skirts would be like right above their pubis bone. Yeah. Like yeah. how was that ever even a possibility? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The hell. And we were all told like, oh, that's like normal. That's what Mm -hmm. you're supposed to do and be. Yeah. And there was there was not this like sense around health at that time. It was like be skinny by any means possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whatever means those may be like it wasn't talking about health and nutrition. And because when you when you looked at those women, like when I would look at Paris Hilton, that was completely unachievable for me. And that is a body type that some women do have naturally, but yeah. a lot of women have that body type when they're not the healthiest version of themselves. Mm-hmm. But out of any of us, the three of us, 
it was probably most achievable for you given your height. So like just even were you ever tempted? Were you ever tempted to just like, because you were so tall and you could just, I mean, it was, I always, I was never, I've never been like skinny, skinny, you know, like I've always had like baby. I don't know, girl, when you were doing that breath work, you dropped down. That's that was the scary weight. That was the skinniest I've ever been. Um, Mm -hmm. that was like my absolute lowest weight. I've never, I think I was like 150. That's like an all time low for me. And it wasn't, I mean, it's, it was sustainable if I continued to do what I was doing every day, but like life doesn't allow for that all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think I just, I felt like it was unachievable the way that those women looked. Um, Mm -hmm. and I know that that, that really messed with my image of myself. And I'm, I mean, I've had independent conversations with both of you about this. I know that it was really hard for you guys too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like you, you, I never even considered myself to like within that realm. Like I didn't, there was no way that was ever going to be a possibility. So it was just what I would look at to torture myself more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that that was never going to happen. Didn't know that it shouldn't happen because it was unhealthy in fact like I probably would have sold my soul yeah and I'm like I am a Catholic I would have sold my soul at that time in my life to achieve that image because I was just so I associated those women Mm -hmm. with perfection and with Mm -hmm. love and what a person who is loved and celebrated looked like not a five foot or five, three, however tall I was like 160, 180 pound brunette with weird curly hair that curls in all the wrong places and talks out of the side of her mouth. <laughs> Love that woman today, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I just, we didn't have normal images of what mm-hmm. health and nutrition, like you said, and in, even in the fitness magazines, like those women were not healthy. They were just wearing fitness clothes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can remember I would read Cosmo a lot or like, I think there was a teen Cosmo. If I I might be making Mm -hmm. that up, but yeah, I had something and I don't remember who was on the cover, but it was somebody like one of the Olsen twins or like Amanda Bynes or somebody like that. Very thin. And they mm-hmm. had the low rise jeans and you could see like their hip bones. And like, mm-hmm. I just so badly wanted that. I was like, oh, why can't I have that? But then right. like, come to find out. Um, and I don't know, like if this was talked about at that time, but like Photoshop wasn't really on my radar then, but like, it's all Photoshopped. Oh. Like, yeah, they're all so Photoshopped and that's still a thing. And it's just so unfortunate. I, I it really scares me because like magazines had such an impact on us, mm-hmm. but like, think about how much more in depth that is now and damaging on yeah. like Instagram or like anywhere. Like it's just everywhere now. And it's all the time. Face that was tune. just like, you had to pick up a magazine before it or, re- or like maybe watch like something like MTV E-news, or something. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. now it's in your face, no matter what you're doing kind of. Yeah. And it's, it's so damaging to young women. It's really sad. Well, definitely go ahead. I would just hope that there's more of an awareness around it now because there's a bigger conversation around it. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that 
girls are looking at images and being like, hmm. Is that like real she though? she doesn't even look like that. Is that real though? Like because I mean I you know I certainly never looked at a magazine. I I was like that's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent is true. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember when I was talking about to my mom about someone's hair, mm-hmm. and it was one of these. Pe- I don't remember who it was, but it was somebody that they always had like different hair with different looks, like different color, different length. And I was talking to her and I was like, oh, I can do like whatever I want to my hair because look at so-and-so celebrity. Like they literally cut and dye their hair like all the time and their hair is beautiful. And she was like, uh, those are wigs. And I got so yeah, mad. they like, are. Those, aren't, those are not wigs. She would not wear a wig. Natalie and- knows a lot about I love wigs. <laughs> my, I do. My mom had the hack before like anyone, like the Kardashians did. Like mm-hmm. I feel like the Kardashians each probably have 50 of the best wigs that money can buy in the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had them. I just like, they are, it's like the, when, I don't know when it, it finally clicked where my mom wasn't just some crazy woman with a ton of wigs. <laughs> Her closet that we would like tap when we needed to dress up for school or something, or just a genius, like <laughs> just like right. I mean, the amount of money we spend on beauty products and just all of these things that are supposed to make us something that the world would rather consume, which mm-hmm. like heartbreaking, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that's where I think it gets so confusing, especially when they're selling it to you or something's being sold to you under the guise of something else, like under the guise of this is nutrition, under the guise of this is self-care, under whatever label they're slapping on it. Mm-hmm. Because there, the, there's, you know how they say the best lies have a little truth in them? Like mm-hmm. that's marketing in my opinion, right? Oh, yeah. Like effective marketing is rooted in some kind of like truth. Like wear sunscreen, wear this SPF makeup, buy this, you're going to not age. You're going to, right? Like, or if you wear these, aren't there sneakers or leggings that have these, like, I think they're leggings and they have like leggings. They have a, a, some kind of resistant material that's supposed to make it feel like you're doing squats when you're walking Hmm. rather than just actually doing the damn squat for like 20. (laughs) I don't know. It's nuts, but how, you know, like we struggled when we were that age. Right. But the reality is, and I hate to say this, but young women and little young men, children, sexual abuse is as long. And I hate this truth, but the truth is sexual abuse is going to be a part of society. As long as we exist, because we are a corrupt society people mm-hmm. and there's always going to be a predator there will mm-hmm. be that's just inevitable um yeah how are we like thinking of what your journey was your experience how these images of what perfection played into your inability to i don't want to say inability that was the wrong word your your delayed um, realization of self-worth. I think that's mm-hmm. a better way to frame that. Um, and that that was without the constant reinforcement uh, of technology and these false images and editing apps. Like you were mm-hmm. able to walk away from it. 
mm-hmm. you know, at periods of time. Like what I'm curious what your thoughts are on the impact of this technology on a survivor, on someone who's going through what you went through and what you were able to overcome. Um, I mean, I, I think overall it's just damaging whether you've like been through sexual abuse or not. Certainly for me personally, like it was just another way that I was an outsider, right? Like I had this thing happen to me and that made me an outsider. I was overweight and that made me an outsider. So there were, it was just another layer of me being different or maybe not what I should be or maybe ashamed, you know? Um, Yeah. 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 So I'm curious what, like, obviously you're here for a reason. You're Mm -hmm. on the daily reframe (laughs) because you, you overcame some shit. And I think we, (laughs) I think, I mean, that's, that's really why we're here. Like your, your story, like, unfortunately the reality of this show is we kind of have to hear, you know, like open up the wound before we can get to the good stuff. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now I think we might be there. If you want to, or Chelsea. Yeah. We've, I think what's, I think the next place that we need to go that's important to hear from is college. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my. See, see, but in a way, this is the start <laughs> of the reframe. This journey. is, this is, it is. Like, this is, so this we're going, is, yeah, we're yes. beginning the reframe. Yes. yes. So college was like awakening number one, I think. It was a not, it was the least fun awakening, but it was yeah. awakening number one for me. And it definitely was part of a cat, the catalyst of. And what do you mean by awakening? So by that, I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, so everything kind of stopped when I was 10, as far as the abuse goes. And then it was kind of just in the back of my head somewhere. I was always like, if I was around Ryan, I was scared. You know, I always had like this weird feeling about him, but I wasn't actively like every day dealing with it, thinking about it, crying about it, not like that. So when I got to college, um, I, so another thing you should know is like, I was always a very good student, always like Mm -hmm. all A's honor roll, like, you know, um, never struggled with school. She's smart. She's smart. (laughs) When I got to college, um, I was in class one day and my professor said something and I genuinely, I don't remember what it was. I just remember he said what he said. And all of a sudden my brain just went like, it just opened this trap door in my brain. And it was like, everything played in front of me, like a movie, like in my head. And I was remembering everything like, all that suppressed mm-hmm. trauma. And I just kind of sat there zoning out the rest of the class. As soon as it ended, I went right back to my dorm and I just Googled like sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse. I just Googled it and I was like, let me see. Because I-, I was also kind of in denial. I was like, am I making this up? Like, why am I just remembering this? Like, what is this? So I Googled it and... I might have Googled some other things, like just kind of looking around. And eventually I came across this thing, this study that was talking about um, childhood sexual abuse and how as a defense mechanism, you can like forget, you don't fully forget, but it goes into this weird little locked part of your brain and it's not an active memory for however long. And some people, it's a really, really long time. 
like even much longer than me. For me, it was like nine years. And so, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like kind of piecing this all together, kind of like this holy shit, like this really happened moment. And so another important part of this is that I had my first like semi-serious relationship at this time. And um, I, you know, it wasn't like going to go to marriage, but, you know, I was very much, you know, I had feelings for this person and, you know, I was hopeful. But one thing that kept happening is that we kept trying to get intimate and I couldn't. Um, And I didn't fully understand why, because I wanted to, but every time it would go to a certain level or a certain step, I would have panic attacks. I would cry. Like I just couldn't do it. And he would get really freaked out and really scared and You'd be like, oh, did it like, did I hurt you? Like, did I do something? Did I say something? And I would always be like, no, like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I just can't do this. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So all of this was happening before the realization. And I don't know how much of like, if it was really what my professor said, or if it was just this buildup, this buildup with this relationship or what it was, but it all just hit me like that. Um, yeah. And the thing with my relationship really like solidified it for me. Like, okay, so this is happening in my relationship. I have these memories and like all these things and it, this really happened. Like I'm not imagining it. Like this really, really happened. Um, And so when I came to that realization, it spiraled me into a very deep depression. Like I've never experienced and it was like um, not eating, didn't get out of bed, stopped going to class. Um, I at one point, one of my friends like checked on me and I was in terrible shape. My hair was falling out like it was terrible. And um, she like made me go to the ER because she was like, something is wrong with you. And I was like, oh, I think I'm sick. Like, so I wasn't going to tell her. Right. So I was like, oh, I, th I think I like have the flu or she was like, you need to go to the ER. She like got me Gatorade. She brought me to the ER. And they gave me fluids and like there was nothing, you know, I didn't have anything wrong with me, but they gave, they could see I was dehydrated because I wasn't eating <laughs> or drinking or doing anything. I hadn't seen the sunlight in several days. So, um, but she, she tried to help me and I kind of, I'm the type that when I'm going through something like that, I do shut people out because I don't, yeah. I, I can't talk about it till I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah. So I kind of started pushing everybody away and I was also very close with my parents. I stopped calling them, which was very unlike me and my dad, especially I was very, very close with. And, um, so he got very worried and he was like, you don't call me, you don't answer my calls. You don't call me back. You know, he was very concerned. And then I started failing my classes because I wasn't going and I wasn't doing any work. I literally could not get out of bed. Like couldn't, I didn't have the energy for anything. So I ended up having to tell my dad, like, I'm failing. And I, you know, and I, I still I couldn't tell him. I didn't tell him I was depressed. I didn't tell him I had been to the ER. Like, I didn't, he didn't know anything else. I just said, you know, I'm failing. And he asked me why. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I just like, my classes are too hard, <laughs> which he knew was not true. So he ended up coming out and getting, I was like, I just want to leave school. Like, I just want, I don't want to be here. I don't like it here. So he ended up coming to get me still like smelling bullshit. Like he knew it was something else. Um, but he came and got me, helped me pack up all this and he could just see like, I was not right. Something was wrong. And 
we were driving home. It was like a six hour drive. Most of it was silent, which was very weird for us. And um, eventually he was like, listen, something is not right with you. And I need you to tell me what it is because something is wrong. So I told him, I just said, Ryan sexually abused me when I was a kid and I'm just remembering it now. And it's really messing with me and I'm very depressed. And he was very quiet and stoic. Um, I, he did like ask a few questions, but it, we didn't really get into details. And basically the gist of it was like, have you told anyone else? Like, have you told your mom? Do you want to tell your mom? Do you want to tell anyone else? And I basically was like, I don't want to tell anybody else. Like I'm telling you, cause like, I feel like I have to, but I don't want to tell anyone else. So, and for some reason, I don't know if he was shocked or like, um, maybe he just trusted me that I knew what I wanted, but he didn't tell anyone else, which I was kind of surprised that he like, didn't tell my mom. He didn't tell me like, go to therapy. He like, didn't really ask me if I needed any extra help or if I wanted to talk about it more. I don't think he wanted to talk about it more at that time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, um, that was the first person I told when I was 19. Um, and I ended up just getting, I think getting away from the campus and getting back home with my parents really helped me get out of, cause I, I didn't want them to see me like that. So it wasn't really for me. It was more like, I have to pull myself out of this and like for them. And then they really wanted me to go back to school. So I re-enrolled at a college that was more local. And I just kind of, I was still going through it and dealing with it, but I was kind of focusing on other things and other people to like, kind of, I don't know, distance myself again from it, I guess. Um, So that was pretty pivotal. Like that whole thing of like realizing it and like my first dealings of like, how do you process that? And it, I do think now looking back at it, it was a very interesting, albeit not the healthiest way of processing it. Cause I didn't get any help. I needed help. And I, at that point I did not get right. any help. I was just like, this happened and okay, now I'm back in school again. Yeah. So yeah. Did you feel any like sense of relief telling your dad? No, no. Yeah. I can't imagine that you would. It's a very knowing your father. It's a very like your father way to deal with that magnitude of information. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you, were you angry or frustrated that there wasn't any more um, support given to you? I mean, I don't know what I expected because a part of me did want more, but I also didn't know what I wanted. And I also specifically asked him, like, I kind of was like, I don't really want to talk about it that much. I don't want you to tell anyone. So Mm -hmm. it, in a, in a way it sounds backwards, but he was being respectful of my wishes at least. And I think it was also, I knew how hard it was for him. I, I know how he internalizes things. So the hardest part for me of telling him was knowing that he was going to feel like he failed me. I knew he was going to feel like that. And I was very sure to tell him like, this is not your fault. Like there's nothing you could have done. There's no way you could have known because I was so scared for both of my parents. And that's why I didn't want to tell my mom either because I just hated thinking that they would blame themselves. Um, But no, I mean, I, 
like could he have done more sure like he could have but at the I didn't want it at the time so I don't know that if he had tried that I even would have allowed it honestly I don't know what he could have done like you were in crisis at that time which it's Mm -hmm. really hard when you're like in crisis mode to step back and assess what you actually need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 And I mean, it speaks volumes to, I think, you know, you felt the need to protect your parents from it. Mm -hmm. Like you felt the need to reassure them that everything was not okay, but like that it wasn't their fault, Mm -hmm. that you didn't blame them. Like you're in this cycle of like not taking care of yourself first, you know, not taking care of your needs first. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I think. No, go ahead. No, no, you go I was going to say, I think I've always felt like they, they needed me to be okay for them to be okay. You know, yeah. like they wanted me to be successful and everything, like everything I could be for, you know, and so I, for them to think that I wasn't okay, was just like not an option for me. So I kind of like, I still don't think I've told him how, like the level of my depression that I was right. in, like, right. like he could see it, you know, I, I couldn't hide it that well, like physically, but, um, I don't think I've ever told him that, like how bad it was. No, I mean, I didn't know about this until recently. Yeah, I don't yeah, talk I about it. I had no idea. Yeah. Um. So what happens after this? You know, you come home. Right. So re-enroll in school. Mm-hmm. So I re-enroll in school and my life just kind of got crazy at that point. My first semester back, my dad had a heart attack and... Um, he ended up like needing a quadruple bypass, all this stuff. Um, that was in, I think the heart attack was in like October. His surgery was like around the first of November, something like that. Um, so my mom and my mom was, he was in Albany where I live and he, my mom was like staying with me to go visit him. So we were spending a lot of time together and she was sleeping at my house and, uh, every morning she would wake up and she would be like, Oh, my back hurts so bad. And I was like, you should really go to the doctor. And she was like, no, you're like, your dad has so much going on right now, whatever. So then fast forward a few months, it's February. And my dad is having a bunch of fluid removed from his lungs every like other day. It's like a leader every other day, which is not normal. And this leads us to find out that he was either nicked or something was not fully closed when they were in there doing a surgery. So he needs a second open heart surgery within six months. Now, when this happens, as I said, it was February, it was around my birthday. My parents felt very bad for me because I was kind of like just crazy going through all this stuff and like worried about my dad. So my mom sent me to my aunts in Florida Mm -hmm. for my birthday. So I'm there and then I'm flat. I'm there for a few days, whatever. I'm flying home. I like called my mom. I was like, Oh, like I'm at the airport. I'll be home at this time. Like you're going to be there to pick me up. Right. And she's like, well, I didn't want to tell you cause you were on vacation, but I have a blood clot in my leg. So I'm going to go to the hospital, the same hospital that your dad's in. And when you get home, if you could just like get a taxi, like go to your apartment and then come to the hospital, we'll both be there. Right. So all of this culminates in both of my parents being in the hospital and my mom finding out that she has stage four cancer. Um, so both of them were in the hospital and I'm just like reeling, like dealing with this. Right. Um, and 
ultimately what ended up happening is my mom lived nine more months after that before she passed away. Mm-hmm. My dad did recover, but it took him several months. So there was a, t- a, a quite a while where I was literally caring for both of them. Like they couldn't walk, they couldn't drive, they couldn't dress themselves. Like it was all like I was fully taking care of both of them. So I got into the throes of like all of that. Yeah. And none of that was really about me. Um, However, um, for my mom, like near the end of her life, I did start to feel like I should tell her what had happened between Ryan and I. Um, And my dad encouraged that as well. So I did end up telling her, um, I think it was maybe two months before she passed away. I, I told her and I will never forget. Like I just, uh, again, same with my dad. I never told them details. I just said like this happened. Yeah. Ryan sexually abused me. Like that was it. And my mom looked at me, she started crying and she just said, it all makes so much sense now. And I was like, oh my, like, it almost was like, she knew <laughs> Yeah. But she just never could have imagined like right. that can't be real. Yeah. What parent wants to admit that they failed their child. But they didn't. That, yeah. But in their I mean in their mind, yeah. 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 And all but the reality is like what a parent is supposed to protect their child. Mm-hmm. And we can justify things as much as we want, but I can't imagine they ever thought they didn't fail knowing that information. Yeah. Mm. And you just wanted, like Chelsea said, you just wanted to protect them from Mm -hmm. that because you Mm -hmm. knew that's, you knew that it would like fracture them. Yeah. I I really debated like telling her because I didn't want to make what was happening about me, but I felt wrong her leaving this earth. Like not, it was almost like, if I didn't tell her, she wasn't going to ever fully know me or understand me if I didn't tell her. Right. So, and I, ultimately I'm happy that I did. It made us a lot closer, even though we didn't have a lot of time left. Like I felt very, the mo- probably the most understood by her than I ever did. Um, and I think I understood her the most too. Well, cause she yeah. finally saw you. She finally right. saw that part of you that you said that had it interwoven itself into your mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. So she could never fully know you mm-hmm. until she knew that. Yep. So, um, so I, I'm ultimately I'm happy, you know, that I shared it with her. And she immediately being a mom, she was like, you need to go to therapy right now. <laughs> like you need to get help, you know, also because of what she what was going on with her. And like we knew she was dying. So um, also it really helped because. Ryan, like with her being sick, was going to be around like in our lives more. Right. And she, because she knew she like let me just make those decisions of like how much he could be around, how much I was around him. And that really helped me because I even now, like I try to like keep distance. So um, that was helpful too. But I did end up um, because of that going to therapy. Um, that's I. I think therapy is can be a very good thing. Um, I, I don't want to disparage it. I think it's important. But my experience was that I felt very dismissed also in therapy somehow. Mm-hmm. I It was the first time I had ever de- really detailed to anyone like what happened. And this person knew my family and knew Ryan. 
and had treated members of my family, including so a be- betrayal of trust right there. I'm just going to say it like that pr- practitioner had no business taking you on as a client. Well, it's well, not totally their fault. Like you have to understand where I come from. Like it's such a small town and like my parents told me to go. They said to go to this person. They trusted this person. So, and as I said, they had treated other members of my family. So they wanted me to go to someone they trusted to, but with me. I get, this is what I'm, I, I think is fascinating. And it's, it, it's just so reflective. Like even with all of this, like you find a way to justify the shortcomings of other people around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that I'm sorry, but that practitioner, regardless of what your family wanted, had mm-hmm. a obligation. Yeah. Well, get get like, ready. It gets worse. It, it gets, gets way worse. worse. So unfortunately, I um, the first time in their office, I was crying. As I said, I, I was detailing and really detailing. Like I had never told anyone that much about it ever. And... <laughs> They sat there and they were like, you know, shaking their head. And then the first thing they said was, I wish I had known this during Ryan's treatment because it really would have helped them with with their issues. How fucking astonishing is that? Yeah. And so (laughs) immediately I was like, okay, like this is not not a a, safe space, not what I need. No, it, it wasn't even that. It was like, this is not I'm not here. I don't care about that. Like, right. Sure. Like they need to be, they have issues. Obviously I'm aware. I'm probably more aware than you that they have serious issues that need to be dealt with, but this is not the space for, this is supposed to be my space and you're making, again, my space is now shared with this violated yet again by this person. Yes. And you're doing it. Extension. Exactly. And then the treatment after that, they did Uh, put me on antidepressants, which did help me. I stayed on them for a year or two, but their treatment thereafter didn't last long because basically their response to me was, and I just want to make it clear, like this is a valid response. Like it, it really is from a therapeutic standpoint, it is a valid response, but it's just not what I needed at that time. So just to clarify before I even say it. So their whole treatment was you can either let it go and move on with your life or you can just keep letting it control you and that those were my options and going back to what i said earlier about how i feel like it's so ingrained because of when it happened or how it happened yeah. whatever like to me that was not an option like i i don't want it to control me and right. i didn't feel like it did like it wasn't like every single day i was you know but it is part of me and I can't just say, oh, la-di-da, like, I forgive you. This didn't even happen. I'm just fine. I just stand. Right. Know? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't so black and white for me. And no matter what I said to try to explain that, it always was somehow, to me, felt like it was always somehow flipped to me going back to a victim's mentality. Mm. So it that did not work out, that situation. No, you <laughs> and did, I not- did not go back you did not have the right therapist to guide you through this experience Mm -hmm. um because it wasn't like it's such a simplistic way that he put it like you can either let it go and it won't control your life or you can let it control your life and it's like yeah yeah 
that's not how it, you deal with something like this. Right. And, and that's the thing, like when you're in the process of actively dealing with it, that's not what you need. But I do think for like, like moving added forward, distilled core, right. There's the some goal. truth. Right. Yeah. When like you obviously it down. Right. You don't want to like go through your whole life angry and bitter and like, but it's you know. how do you get to that option? Right. How do you get to the option of letting it go. You don't just, and it, I just, we've said this before, but I just want to reiterate this point. If you are in therapy and you do not like your therapist, get a new one. If you aren't feeling like you've made progress, get a new one. Mm. It Life is too short to have to feel like you're people pleasing or you're just, you're staying in something because mm-hmm. someone told you to be. And I, I'm not going to lie. I am just. I am feeling so much rage right now for you (laughs) and frustration. Yeah, I was very frustrated at the time. Yeah. What I did ultimately do with it, though, I did eventually get to a place now where and it it was not because of this there. It's kind of like a little bit because of that statement, but mostly my own like Mm -hmm. figuring it out. I have realized that one little nugget that I can get from that is. Um, I don't, it's not about like forgiveness, so to speak, but more so like, that's not my burden anymore. Like, I don't have to carry it. He can carry it. Ryan oh, can carry it. Like, I, like I don't that. like, it's still there. It still happened. It's unfortunate, etc. But I don't have to have that baggage to carry. Mm-hmm. I can give him back that baggage and say, this is your baggage. Like I've dealt with it in my own way. And it's there, but I don't have to carry it. And that's what I made of that in my own time. And that's what's helped me the most because it takes, because even just the thought of forgiving him is a burden to me. So I yeah. don't want any of that. I don't want to carry that. None I'm of that. So I'm, I'm intrigued that, uh, honestly, my money was on the fact I thought based on everything you've said about your parents, other people at like, you just like this sense of selflessness and just mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. concerned that you probably already forgave him or told him you forgave no. him. Nope. I, I mean, I love no. that you didn't, honey. I mm-hmm. love that you didn't. I, to this day, he has never admitted that he's done oh, anything. He We've never admitted. So he's not, he's, he's never taught. Okay. No, it's, so it's come up one time. It's the last time that I ever spoke to him and it was in, I think it was 2016, maybe 2017, around there. Um, And he, at the time, was in treatment. And he called me. And I kind of was like, I don't know why you're calling me. But, like, good for you that you're in treatment. And I just said, you know, you should really, like, talk to them about what happened when we were kids. You should really get into that, like, for yourself. Because I think that would really help you. And he just said, yeah, that's it. Just, yeah. And it never came up again. I know he knows what I'm talking about. Of course. Of course he does. Of course he does. But no, he's never asked for forgiveness. I I don't think I would like let him off the hook like that, really. Like, and I'm not, it's not an anger thing. It's just like, I, I don't get to let myself off the hook with it. I have to live with it. So, so should you like, you did it. 
I went through it. Like we're both, we both just, it's just kind of something we both bear now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I don't have to carry it every day. Like, you know what I mean? I don't have to just bring it with, drag it along with me my whole Mm -hmm. life. I can Mm -hmm. put that on him. And it, that I will say to speak to what you said earlier, like that's probably, he is probably the only person that I'm like that with. Cause I, that's very much not who I am. No, it's not. No, that's why I, I, I'm yeah. just glad I didn't go to Vegas with this bet. <laughs> no, like an out. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. probably, yeah, I, it definitely like I'm such, I am kind of a people pleaser. Like I just, it's just naturally who I am and I care so much about others and how they're feeling and if they're okay and like these kinds of things. And he's the one person that I'm like, no, I have no, yeah. nothing. I feel nothing not anger, not, not, I just feel nothing towards you. Like you're just nothing mm-hmm. to me at this point. And like, I don't care what, like how I make you feel. Like if you feel bad, like you should feel bad. Like, you know, right. that's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love that you look at this, that you've reframed it in such a way that you are <laughs> yeah. like, I don't have to carry this. It's on you. Like I'm giving this back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very like powerful way to th- think about everything that you've been through with Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. I I, I even like the wording you used because it's like when before when you were talking about it you know like you've created the word the term like a burden that you can pass off and give Mm -hmm. to someone else it it it, the words alone you know suggest they denote that it is not something that is permanently attached to you Mm -hmm. well maybe like it impacted you Mm-hmm. and of has course. and you know like like everyone you carry a lot of heavy bags in life your knees are gonna hurt your back might never be the same but you don't have to continue to carry those bags that right. baggage you know what yeah. I mean yeah I I think that's how like the therapist benefited me actually with what they said even though it was messed up like what they said to me because I remember thinking in my frustration like why is it all on me So like this happened to me. I had no control over it. I was just a little kid and now it's on me. Oh, I have to do the work. I have to make the decision of how I feel about it. And like, I understand like that's the human experience to some extent. Like we all do that, but like, it just felt like, why am, why is it all on me? Like, why do I have to do all this on top of what I've already experienced? So, but in a way, isn't it kind of like that was your avenue to empowerment? Like you were this child who's, you know, who innocence was stolen, who Mm -hmm. didn't have a voice, Mm -hmm. couldn't, you know, the first time you like screamed out when you didn't even know where that come from. I think that was your subconscious self saying all right let's go Allie it's time mm-hmm. it's go time mm-hmm. sister yeah. and yeah and they it, it's almost like this weird deliverance uh that had to occur to where you know by you doing this work like being able to cultivate this voice mm-hmm. and your own and set your own boundaries and decide who decide when decide mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how you were able to free yourself to let go of it. Yep, exactly. And it took a lot of work and a lot of mistakes to get there. A, a lot of self-reflection. So you let's know, talk was, yeah. about some.
Stay tuned for part two of Allie's story dropping next Friday. And as always, have the best weekend, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Daily Reframe. We hope you gained a fresh perspective on how to approach life's challenges with a renewed mindset. Remember, every obstacle presents an opportunity for growth, and every setback can be a stepping stone towards success. Like what you heard today? Then follow and like The Daily Reframe podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at www.thedailyreframe.com. And for more content than fuels you, get social with us on IG, TikTok, threads, and all those other fine places by searching at the underscore daily underscore reframe. And if you want to dive even deeper into the topics we've covered, be sure to check out the episode show notes, where we expand on key takeaways and share additional resources for personal growth, transformation, and guest bios. And remember, we love hearing from you and about your own reframe stories. Until next time, keep seeking new angles, embracing change, and reframing your mindset to create the life you want and deserve. The Daily Reframe podcast and content posted by, created, and or distributed by The Daily Reframe is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on The Daily Reframe podcast in The Daily Reframe including information found on or distributed through its Instagram, TikTok, and website, or materials linked from the podcast, Instagram, TikTok, or website is at the user's own risk. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, professional coach, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical or mental health condition they may have and should seek the assistance of a healthcare professional for any such conditions.